Thanks for joining us on the King Law Podcast, where we give you a lawyer's perspective on anything legal or not. From criminal law, personal injury, and trending legal topics, we're your back pocket legal guide. Okay. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't we jump right into it? If you want to introduce yourself and uh, what you do and um, what, what your law firm is all about. Sure. So my name is Danielle Mason. I'm an attorney in Montgomery, Alabama. I was born and raised here and currently practice here. Uh, my firm is Bullock Ward Mason. I've been in my own firm now for a little over a year and a half. And uh, my firm is incorporated in Georgia. We are a fully remote firm and we handle single event cases, med mal, um, and mass torts. And um, within the mass tort realm, I'm currently focused on the hair relaxer litigation that's going on in multiple state courts around the country. So how did you decide that you wanted to get into mass torts? It it was a decision that was made for me. Um, My first firm, um, that was the division into which I was hired. And I started doing that from the beginning, I had never done a civil case before. Um, so mass torts is like civil litigation on steroids and you have to learn pretty quickly. Um, but I had some great mentors and I've come to learn that uh, mass torts is a area of law that I think is really impactful for things, products, devices, drugs that impact you know millions of people across the country and even the world. And it's an opportunity to make some really meaningful change in terms of corporate behavior, um, you know, putting them to the fire on making sure that the products that they give us to use have been fully tested and are safe um, for for use. And so I've enjoyed being in this area of practice. It is grueling. It's stressful. um, But I think it helps so many people and it helps make real change in terms of how, um, you know, the, the kinds of products that we get and, and, and helps to ensure our safety. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there are so many products out there that are not safe for us to use and yet they're still on the market and we still use them every day. That's right. Uh, So I'm really glad that you're here because there's a very important issue and lawsuit, um, surrounding hair relaxer. And so what, is hair relaxer or what are some other names that people might know it as? Hair relaxer is a chemically based product. Um, And I want to be very clear because I see a lot of times, um, particularly in some marketing for these cases, and they'll say hair straighteners. Um, Straighteners is a little too narrow of of a description for this. Um, You know, you can straighten your hair with a flat iron. That's not what we're talking about. Um, the products that we're talking about that are known to be hair relaxers actually chemically alter the composition of the hair. And um, they have been sold around the country. Um, Really, I think it was around 1971 when the first, what we call a home kit um, was, you know, available in a drugstore or a grocery store for you to go and, and apply the product to yourself. But usually these were done in salons by professionals Um, But the product itself has been around since 1900, like the early 1900s. And it's been a product that has been predominantly used in ethnic communities to achieve a 
a texture of hair that has generally been more accepted in, you know, professional society. And the goal is to achieve a straight, a straight haired look. A straight hair look. Like what you see today is natural hair. Um, I took a shower, I washed it, and then tried to do this with a little with a little cream. And, you know, you've noticed the curly texture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can straighten this out with a with a flat iron and achieve somewhat of, of a straight style, although it's it's very temporary and, and also depends on like what your environment is. If it's yeah. humid, whatever, it's not gonna stay straight long. Um, a chemical hair relaxer is designed to straighten the hair on a more permanent basis. Um, now it's still not permanent forever. You don't just apply at one time and then your hair is straight. Hair mm-hmm. is a living organism. It grow, It continues to grow out of the root. So hair relaxers are typically something that once you start, you still continue to use because as the hair grows out of the root, you want that root hair to have the same consistency as the rest of your hair. So reapplying a hair relaxer is what's called a retouch. And you do it right to the scalp where the hair is growing out of the root so that it'll straighten out like everything else. And that's typically done on average anywhere between four to eight weeks. Okay. So it's been essentially around for forever, forever. But I guess with this lawsuit, when do you think that it would, the products coming out that have caused harm have started like the seventies, the sixties, what, what are we looking at? Well, I think, what um, the chemical composition of these products have always been causing harm. The di- the issue here is that we didn't know it. Um, we didn't know it until very recently when, um, and I can sort of pinpoint exactly um, October of 2022, a study was released that connected the use of hair relaxer to uterine cancer, um, which was an a weird thing in and of itself, because usually it's it's pretty rare for a scientific study to go sort of viral, um, you know, across news platforms, you know, online, all of these things. I woke up one morning and literally the story was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that on, on the on one hand, I'm glad that that happened because it provided us, you know, the notice of saying, hmm. You know, what is going on with this? And then, you know, once you see something like that come out, lawyers like myself, you know, will sort of continue to kick the tires on if if that if this one study has come out, there has to be something else. And, you know, unsurprisingly, that's exactly what you find if you know where to look. Um, you know, there are there are a number of studies that are in the scientific domain that just stay there. Um, without there being sort of this, you know, universal awareness um, that there could be a problem. So um, it coming out into the mainstream media was was very helpful to the initiation of this litigation because it tells you that there's there's smoke um, and then you keep digging and then that smoke is a fire. And what we've come to learn is that hair relaxers for as long as they have been in creation um, have chemical components in them that directly impact the female reproductive system. And so through that, we're not only seeing, 
cancers as a result of long-term use of this product, but also other conditions like fibroids, like endometriosis, um, other things that are related to having these conditions like long, like infertility, miscarriages, preterm labor. Um, so these are these are issues that have plagued black women predominantly more than women of any other race. And so the question becomes, what's different about our bodies? Um, we might be a different shade uh, of skin, but genetically we are not different. So why are Black women experiencing these conditions at rates three to five times higher than women of other race races? And so that necessarily has you look at environmental exposures. And 90% of Black women at some point in their lives have exposed themselves to a hair relaxer. And so that has to be looked at as multiple something that times. is driving yes, multiple times. Like I was saying Big before, time. you don't just start, you don't just do a hair relaxer one time. It becomes a lifetime habit. So you're and constantly it, being exposed. Oh, yeah. so you're constantly being exposed. Um, you know, when you calculate application of the product 48, you know, weeks, that's anywhere between six to 10 applications of the product a year. And mm -hmm. so we're talking about getting exposed to this when you are a young child. I mean, I have clients as young as four or five years old that first were exposed to hair relaxers. And then it is just something that becomes so ingrained in your beauty regimen that it's very difficult to stop using it. In fact, in the, in the colloquial terms, we have been known to call hair relaxer creamy crack. It's not a drug addiction, but it is a sort of addiction of, I need to look a certain way. This product helps me do that. And there's, you know, there's just really no easy way to stop it. And, and in many cases for women, they don't. Um, some of us are still using hair relaxers, even knowing that it could be causing long-term reproductive harm. So it is... It's definitely something that's a lifestyle habit, but it is it is more dangerous than our wildest dreams could have ever imagined. So let's talk about the chemicals in the hair relaxer. What are the ones that are causing us harm? So uh, there's a general classification of the chemicals that are called endocrine disruptors. And within that classification, there are a number of different types. So you're talking about phthalates, parabens, um, bisphenol A, which is for short BPA, um, cyclosoxanes, UV filters, um, carcinogens. Uh, there are a number of these products, uh, these chemicals that are in these products that really serve no real function other than, you know, easing application of the product. It kind of makes it, you know, band together and stay together so that it doesn't sort of disintegrate in the packaging. Um, I think there are other alternatives that could be used instead of these. In fact, we know that to be true because we can go to a drugstore right now. And if we were looking to buy products that did not have this stuff in it, there are companies that will say this is phthalate free, this is paraben free. And they do that for a reason, because these chemicals are harmful. Um, the problem with hair relaxers is you don't know that that's what's in it. These 
chemicals are not classified or you know broken out as an individual component in the ingredients list. They're typically always hidden in the catch-all fragrance category. Okay. And so, you know, the 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 damaging part here is that even if you were someone who really wanted to make sure that you were not overly exposing yourself to these things, you would not be able to tell that from a hair relaxer bottle because none of what I've mentioned is going to be listed as a component of the product. So this lie versus no lie does not matter in how dangerous this product is. It does not. Okay. I think lie, you know, no lie was designed to be a little less harsh um, in terms of like its capacity to burn, even though hair relaxers still burn the scalp, even in a no lie um, formulation. But that has no that that has nothing to do with the the harmful chemicals that we're talking about here. I, I want to make sure that I'm understanding. So which uh, which brands of hair relaxer are, are causing cancers and reproductive issues? Our theory is all of them. Um, there are so many and. There are brand names that I could throw out that if you use these products, you know, you have heard them around your house. You've seen them in the store, um, probably of the most popular brands, Dark and Lovely. Dark and Lovely is a L'Oreal product uh, just for me. Um, it was very, very popular, especially in the early 90s when I was a little girl. Um, the um, it was marketed to children and there was this commercial that had a very catchy jingle to it. And I remember going to school and me and my friends used to sing it all the time because we got our just for me and we were flipping our hair. Um, so it was very popular. Um, Motions, TCB, um, Soft and Beautiful, Optimum Care, Mizani. I mean, I, the list goes on and on and on. There are so many options to choose from. There are different formulations of these products. They come in different strengths from, you know, mild, regular, super, um, depending on the, the texture of your hair and how much straightening you might need. Um, so there's there's just a wealth of options, but from our perspective, they all, in some form or fashion, contain some concentration of the chemicals at issue. And it doesn't matter the strength or what brand they're all causing cancers. Can you re? Can, what cancers are they causing? So the, from the medical literature, we can make the case for uterine. Um, or, or and or endometrial, which is basically the same thing. Uh, it just depends on where the tumor actually originates. Sometimes it'll originate in the lining. Sometimes it'll originate in the muscle tissue and it will be designated depending on the origin of the tumor. So uterine endometrial is kind of same thing. Um, ovarian cancer has been linked. Breast cancer has been linked. Um, I'm looking into potential other cancers, given what I know about the endocrine disruption. But right now, those are the ones that scientifically there have been studies um, to show the association. And what are the issues um, and illnesses that are not cancerous, but still part of this lawsuit? So that would be uterine fibroids, um, which are non-cancerous tumors of the uterus. Um, you've got endometriosis, a condition where the uterine lining um, that women every month when we have our menses, that lining 
tissue that builds up inside the uterus is supposed to stay inside the uterus. Endometriosis is a condition where that tissue actually grows outside the uterus or within the fallopian tubes and can cause a lot of um, pain, uh, infertility, all of these things. And there is no cure for that. Um, for a fibroid, arguably, you can have a myomectomy to remove the fibroid um, while keeping the uterus intact. I see too often, though, a lot of my clients who have elected to have myomectomies for the purpose of preserving their uterus um, have had to either go back to have another because the the fibroids will continue to they'll come back once you remove them. It's not like you're done with it. They they can grow back. Yeah. And in many cases, they often do. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people who have been using hair relaxers have also had hysterectomies because of these issues, That's um, correct. which is a hard procedure to recover from. Or can be. That's right. Yeah. I've had one. Um, unfortunately, in my mid-30s, I had a hysterectomy. And um, you can't psychologically, even if you've decided, even if you've been blessed to have children, um, if hysterectomy is part of the, of the course of treatment, there is always still that psychological loss right. um, and devastation of a part of your body that you that is so that is so ingrained in your womanhood is no longer there um that that has a lot of impact i was blessed to be able to have two children even though at some point i was told i likely might not have because i was diagnosed with endometriosis at a very young age um after having started using hair relaxer um but i you know the for the women that have not been able to have children and will not because hysterectomy was their only option. Um, my heart breaks because yeah. that is just not what any of us signed up for, you know, when we, you know, wanted to go this route that really is all about vanity. Right. Um, it's just about vanity. And, and for black women, you know, it, it was also acceptance, you know, there's, there's a reason why there's a crown act where legislation has to prevent discrimination for how black women and black men wear their hair, whether, you know, they want to wear braids or, or locks or, or these types of styles, you know, corporate America says that's not professional. A lot of times we were not hired or we've even been fired because of how we wear our hair that is natural and protective to our hair. Um, you know, it's back in, in, pre-slavery days when we were still in Africa, the more elaborate the style, the more, you know, the more sway you had in your tribe. I mean, it was, um, it was, it was a source of pride at one point. And America has sort of made ethnic hair be a source of shame. So when you add that component of sort of needing to be and needing to assimilate into a society, but also sort of even conditioning in your mind that I'm not beautiful unless I do this. Right. Um, it's a very, very difficult um, road to self-acceptance. And then to do all of that, and then to find out that that very thing could also be sterilizing us in a large swath of the population is just, it's really devastating to consider. 
Right. And I think, you know, more people should be angry about the situation. They, this is a company who made billions of dollars off of women who aren't suffering. And, you know, like it starts with hair relaxer, but there are so many more products out there that need to be looked at it like this as well. Oh, Um, definitely. Um, If I can get through this one unscathed, I'm not done. Keep going. Yeah. (laughs) So there is a lawsuit for hair relaxer. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Where is it? What's going on with this? Can you give me a little short, brief description on what this hair relaxer lawsuit looks like? Okay. So um, it's kind of going on in multiple fronts right now. Um, So I'll start with the federal cases. Um, There is an MDL, which stands for multi-district litigation, that was established in the Northern District of Illinois. Um, the Honorable Judge Mary Rowland is the presiding judge. Um, all hair relaxer cases, um, particularly the cancer cases, um, the MDL has chosen to only pursue injuries related to uterine, endometrial, or or ovarian cancer. Um, so the multitude of cases with those injuries for plaintiffs that live all across the country have cases filed there. And I think, you know, we're somewhere around eight or 9,000 cases filed in that MDL. Outside of that, um, there are some, there are some state courts that are evaluating these. So, um, Cook County, Illinois, um, which is the same County seat, like Northern district of Illinois is basically Chicago. Um, so Cook County is the county seat for Chicago. Um, there are hair relaxers filed in that state court. Um, right now, they are Illinois resident plaintiffs, um, with the exception of a couple, but we'll, we can talk about that a little later, um, who have used hair relaxer and also have a defendant manufacturer who also resides in Chicago. So right now, there are two companies uh, hair relaxer manufacturers that make, um, that, that are at issue. And it's, um, a company called Namaste, which makes ORS olive oil. And then there is Luster products that makes the pink oil smooth touch hair relaxer. Um, so clients who lived in Illinois and then used those defendants products are able to file their case in state court. Um, there are also some, um, retailers like Walgreens and Sally beauty supply, who are also resident, their principal place of business is in the state of Illinois. So um, that those are some of the things that we have to have jurisdictionally to make state court be a viable option for a case to be filed. Outside of Cook County, oh, and to, to that end, the, that, that litigation is organizing. So much like how a federal NDL coordinates the same thing is happening on the state court level. And I have been appointed as a member of the plaintiff's executive committee to help lead that coordination. Um, In the state of Georgia, there are a number of cases filed in Chatham County, which is where Savannah is. Our firm was the first to file in both Cook County and in um, Chatham County. Uh, The number of cases being filed there is growing. All of the cases that are being filed there now are um, being assigned to a single judge. And I'm currently working with the defendants in those cases to do much like what's going on in Cook County to consolidate and sort of coordinate our efforts um, in that in that venue as well. 
As the litigation develops, I think there are going to be opportunities for these cases to be filed in other states. I think also there's going to be opportunities for us to file women who live in a state that does not currently have a resident manufacturer there to be able to avail themselves of the litigation in these state courts. Um, there's a lot that is being um, litigated right now in terms of jurisdictional motions and those things. But I think within the coming months, um, there will be um, a, a more broad base for which we can um, file these complaints and uh, you know just sort of continue the momentum of the litigation overall. I want to talk about who qualifies for the hair relaxer. Okay. So um, that is typically established by what we call a case criteria. And different firms will set different parameters depending on what kinds of cases they are willing to take. Um, for our firm, you know, we are trying to help as many women as possible. So you know, our firm is one of the few in the country that actually want to pursue fibroid and endometriosis cases. Um, so to that end, um, you know, we we will accept that, but that does not necessarily mean that every law firm in the country will. Mm -hmm. um, but we take those. Um, other factors, I mean, we look at the length of time. Um, you know, we would look for at least five years of continuous use of the product, which, you know, as we described before, that's usually a very low hurdle. Um, most of these women have used the product for decades. Um, you know, I'm looking for sort of based on conversations I've had with experts and what I think can make the case, make a case that we can win um, would be, you know, someone who's been exposed to the product at a young age. Um, the, the endocrine disruption that these chemicals create is highly problematic to a developing body. And for a young girl under the age of 12, where her body quite hasn't developed yet, these endocrine disruptors can really impact the regulatory functions of their hormones and all of that. So early exposure is, um, is, is a criteria point that we look at. We also, um, with respect to fibroid and endometriosis cases, we do require that there's at least been a surgery, um, whether it's a myomectomy to remove a fibroid, a partial hysterectomy or a full hysterectomy, um, these are qualifying procedures. Um, you know, for the women that have not yet had a surgery, um, you know, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult in terms of damages um, with these cases to include all of that. Um, so the surgeries really kind of help us narrow this plaintiff pool. I mean, there's so many women with fibroids. Uh, we would overwhelm the dockets if we took every case. Um, so the surgeries are are necessary. And, um, you know, and I also look at things like age range when the the difficulties happened. Um, so typically the, the diagnoses or the treatment or the hysterectomy happening within the childbearing range of, of ages. Um, so, you know, from 20s to about age 45 um, would be, you know, really during that time where women are really foregoing or the, the, the products themselves have kept them 
from having families and, and doing all of that. And that elevates the damages of the cases. So those are some of the things that we look at in terms of qualifying. But of course, everybody's situation is different. And we like to talk to women to hear their full course of of injury and all the things that they've gone through, because I have made exceptions um, to the criteria, depending on what they've been through. And I've heard some very horrific stories. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am here to try to help as many women as I possibly can. So anyone who's used them throughout the country, it's not just specific, because I think some people might get confused because the lawsuits being held in one specific state or area, it it doesn't matter where you it live. Does not, it does not matter where you live. Um, you know, that is that is part of what goes along with mass torts. It has to necessarily be able to help people who are wherever they are. And it tries to help sort of, you know, cut down on uncertainty where things might happen one way over here, but because this law is terrible, you know, these people can't get help. Um, so it tries to put some uniformity over how um, these cases would be handled and, and evaluated overall. Um, but yes, whether you live in Washington state or Florida or anywhere in between, um, if you've used these products and have been harmed reproductively, um, we would be happy to take a look and see if we can help. All right. I have two more questions. So so when you file the hair relaxer um, claim and then you go through the process, not everyone understands the timeline or people are wondering, well, how much are these settlements going to be? Do you have any like projections on that of the time and maybe the amount that we're looking at? You know, I could, but... I don't like to set unreasonable expectations or those that 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 can't be attained. Um, I think it's very early in the process right now for us to be able to determine settlement value. I think ultimately it's going to really depend upon how how many women end up in this litigation by the time it's said and done. Um, you know. Right now, the number of cases filed is very low in comparison to the number of women harmed. And that is, you know, as litigation develops, it's not unusual that we don't have tens of thousands of cases filed right now. There's a lot still being tested. There's a lot still developing. Um, even there's still challenges going on to complaints. You know, defendants are still, you know, filing initial motions to dismiss a plaintiff's complaint on just random stuff. You know, we haven't even gotten to, you know, the the liability. We haven't gotten to um, all of the discovery that we're due um, from, from the defendants. They haven't gotten into all of the discovery that they will need to evaluate what the plaintiffs have. Um, so there's there's just still a ton to be figured out. And so to anyone that wants to know, you know, is 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 the money going to be worth it? Um, first of all, we definitely want it to be um, because money is the language that these big companies understand. And that is the goal. Um, but beyond that, the accountability factor that comes along with litigation like this is so important. And you know, it, the change doesn't happen unless we file suit. 
And so that ultimately, and many of my clients have said that that's what they want the most is that there be some accountability here for what these companies have done, um, that they have failed to warn us that this outcome could be possible. And, you know, to get some validation in that way, I think would be very satisfactory to to all of us. Um, but timing of litigation like this can can take years. Um, it is necessarily complicated. They, it's it's complex litigation for a reason. We are dealing with so many plaintiffs, so many defendants, so many products, um, cases being filed in different places. Um, so you know the key is to just remain patient. Um, you know, if you're working with a lawyer, whether it's my firm or anyone else, be patient with your law firm, but also help us by being responsive. A lot of what we need needs to come from our clients. And so if we're calling and need information, the, the best thing you can do to help us is to answer the phone and to, you know, get us records if we if we're asking for them. Sorry. More is more. I got strangled. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, being responsive to us is very helpful in helping move the case along. <laughs> Sorry, I got no. You're all right. People in my throat. Right. Um, and that is that is that is really crucial. But know that every day, I am waking up to do the things that need to be done with this litigation. And it's just necessarily going to take some time. So in just to round this out, hair relaxer is still on the market. Do you believe it should be? It shouldn't be? People should stop using it? What is your what what are your thoughts? I believe that hair relaxers should be removed. Yeah. (laughs) There's a possibility they could be reformulated. Mm -hmm. And if they can. Um, then great. But if not, they need to be removed. Yeah. And I think, you know, in today's culture, we have so many options for our hair that even if it can be reformulated, why? Um, I'm a camera went crazy too. Um, the, um, why there, I don't think it's, it's even necessary anymore between all of the heating tools, wigs, weaves, all the things that we can do to our hair that are when the hundred percent safe, no matter what, we have those options. And we have the options now, I think, to be more free in our styling choices, you know, to push back against the standard of beauty that we've all been raised in, I don't think exists anymore. Mm -hmm. And so their relevance of these products, I think, has worn out its welcome. Right. And to that end, they can just be gone. Um, but certainly if they're not going to be, if there's not going to be an effort to make them safer, then they do need to go. Um, because this is, this is long-term devastation to a population of people. If these, if our, if our women are, you know, struggling with fertility and not being able to perpetuate our bloodlines and our families, um, then that is devastating to a whole race. And that's just for the for hair we have to ask ourselves if that's really worth it and my my response to that is a resounding no it is not right what advice would you have to women who are watching this 
um, that are going through medical issues that might be or are because of the hair relaxer? So um, a couple of things in this, um, because what I also notice, and there have been conversations around this, um, Black women in healthcare and our in relationships with our doctors, um, we complain and a lot of times our doctors don't listen. Um, so the first thing I would say is if you find yourself complaining and your doctor is not listening, find another doctor ASAP. Um, there are a number of black women who are, you know, gynecologists and all of these things, you know, go see, go see one of us. Um, if you're not getting the answers or the, the attention or the treatment that you need. And then if you are getting that, um, and you've been told you must have a hysterectomy, you know, that you're going to be foregoing having children, um, please, please seek therapy um, for this. You know, uh, a lot of times in Black culture, there has been a stigma for us to seek mental health treatment. I think in this situation, the the emotions involved in all of it, the, the debilitation, the pain, and all that is one side of things. The, the decisions that have to be made um, and if it's, it causes us to remove parts of our body is one part of it. If you are married and your relationship has suffered um, because your husband didn't sign up for what you're going through, that is all very heavy on each level. And don't think that you have to be the mountain all the time and be so strong that you can't you know, stop a minute and say, I need to talk to somebody about this. Um, I think, you know, we we really need to do ourselves a favor in not feeling like we always have to be that strong black woman all the time. There is help out there. And I encourage our clients um, and anybody going through this to seek it um, because it really can help. And you can't get through this by yourself. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and educating all of us on so many issues and platforms and levels of hair relaxer and so much more. So thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I apologize for that coughing fit I just had. Um, you know, it, it life, you know, it, it happens. But I am so glad to be here and to share this information. If anybody um, listening ha has more questions or would like to, to learn more, uh, please, please reach out to me. My email is Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E at bwmlaw.com. Thank you. Thank right. you. That concludes this episode of the King Law Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and check out our socials at King Law Attorneys. And if you've happened to have been injured or charged with a crime, now you know who to call. King Law. Take charge.